This is a Big Tiny Comedy Production. Welcome backstage. Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. VIP only. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are band-aids. Are you jumping or am I under-medicated? You're listening to Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. I'm with the band, okay? Lucky episode number 13. I'm worried. 13 is a, uh, a very lucky number in my family. It's the day my children were born. Cool. My twins were born on Friday the 13th. That's right. Nothing scary about this episode, only that it was uh, originally recorded around Halloween when I did these interviews. So maybe a little spooktacular. <laughs> Just a slight bit. Hey, it's Meredith Marks. Thanks for joining us here on Backstage Pass. Uh, recently, I was able to take a trip down to the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C., where I had the pleasure of hanging out with Mr. Michael McDonald, his lovely wife, Amy Holland, and their opening guest, Mr. Mark Cohn. Um, it was a cool experience, I have to say, and I got the royal treatment because my brother happens to be the tour manager for these guys and uh well for michael and uh they love him they love my brother one day we're gonna bring him in here one day gonna grill him he's got some stories i'm sure he won't come here till summer he hates the cold he he kind of flocked over to phoenix arizona and he's staying there in shorts until he has to <laughs> come back and visit but we will get him at some point because i'm sure he has a lot of stories um so anyway, until until I see him again, I told Amy and Michael to um, tickle under his chin because he squirms like a little boy when that happens. It's just a little, uh, it's just a little inside thing that they can do. Anyway, when uh, when I when I went and watched the the opening uh, with Mark Cohn, I geeked out a little bit. Um, I love Mark Cohn. I really do. He does Walking in Memphis. Everybody knows and loves that song. I mean, that was nominated for a Grammy Award. And True Companion. Oh, if you guys have not heard Mark Cohn's True Companion, trust me, such a beyond brilliant songwriter. And he just does incredible things with that song. And Silver Thunderbird. That's another favorite of mine. I love Silver Thunderbird. It's such a beautiful connection with him and his dad in a car. Um, so many times songs are about love and heartbreak and, you know, getting married and the sappy stuff. But this was a real cool song that was written really for the love of his father and a car. It was cool. Cool. I love that Silver Thunderbird. What an awesome song. So I decided to go and sit down with him and ask him a little bit about uh, walking in Memphis. And he said he was going to give me five minutes because he was really tired. And I respect that. I love you, Mark Cohn, and I respect that. But I was able to get six minutes and 30 seconds out of him, and I'm pretty darn proud about that. <laughs> Here we go, sitting backstage at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. with the amazingly talented Mr. Mark Cohn. 
Okay, so we're here with Mark Cohn, and he does the amazing Walking in Memphis and True Companion, and one of my favorites, Silver Thunderbird. Thank you. So let's just, you know, the nitty gritty is we don't need to do the usual interview because people can just Wikipedia you and YouTube you and find out all of the glorious information of how you came to be where you are today. But I want to get into a little bit about from Jew to Jew. <laughs> okay, this is a good start. Yeah. <laughs> from Jew to Jew. Tell me a little bit about these Walking in Memphis lyrics because I found them hilarious. I didn't realize that you were Jewish. Really? I, I really didn't. See, to me, that's why the song works. Only a Jew could say that I line. know, yeah. right? Right, and make it make it. Ma'am, I am tonight. That's how I felt. I mean, I've had that experience over and over in my life. I mean, I feel very connected to being a Jew culturally, mm -hmm. although I'm only beginning to get back into the ritual of it mm -hmm. um, slowly. Although my father and my mother were both really religious. But so for me, over the years, my religious quote-unquote, spiritual experiences have, have largely been through music. Although meeting Muriel, who is clearly this woman I talk about in Walking in Memphis, yes. was a school teacher and a piano player and a singer, but also a very deeply religious woman. Um, she never really asked me explicitly, are you a Christian? But that was clearly what was, part, was in the room, was there's a th there are these things that sometimes separate us mm -hmm. and at the same time, maybe not. Um, we both know what it feels like to be moved by music deeply. That's really what Walking in Memphis is about, is the transformational power of music, I think. Right. And, and how it impacts you, whether you're a Jew or a Christian or whatever you are. Um, and I have felt, you know, Jews are known to be searchers. And if nothing else, I'm a searcher. I'm a songwriter. I don't feel like I know the answers. I'm interested in the questions, though. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a very Jewish thing. You know, when everybody else felt like Jesus was the answer, the Jews said, no, I'm going to keep walking in the desert a while longer. Maybe we'll find the Messiah somewhere We'll find something somewhere else. else. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I understand that. Well, you're a brilliant songwriter, and I enjoy all of your work, and I always have. Um, tell me what it was like to be nominated for Song of the Year and then to win for Best New Artist. I mean, you beat out Boys to Men, you beat out Seal. Yeah. Um, tell me what that was like. Talk to us about the Grammy Awards experience. I grew up, I mean, I grew up loving the Grammys because in the 70s, late 60s, 70s, when I was listening to everything and learning and soaking everything up, there was no MTV, there was no VH1. Um, the only way you could see your favorite artist was to go see them in concert, which I didn't do as a young True. kid, mm -hmm. or watch the Grammys. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where I saw and heard Paul Simon and Stevie Wonder and all my heroes. Like, there they are. Yes. Um, so to be there myself was surreal, really surreal. Um, it had been a long year of touring and promoting that first record. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was actually sitting at Radio City Music Hall... You know, I was kind of, um, uh, I wasn't tired. I just felt like I'd been campaigning to get my music heard. Right. Uh, and it all came to a glorious conclusion that night, in a way, in terms of that record. It was just a beautiful way to sort of wrap up a year of being on the road and trying to get my name and my music out there. And when they called, first of all, to be nominated, you always hear actors say this, but it really was true. When I found out that I'd been nominated for Song of the Year, that was the award that meant the most to me, even as a nomination. And then to win Best New Artist was, you know, it was an 
out-of-body thing to walk up on that stage and take a Grammy home. In front Beautiful. of so many people, I'm sure, yeah. that you have such great respect for. Absolutely. I met a lot of my heroes that night, and some of them have become close friends and mentors in the meantime. So that was a, that was a huge cool. turning point, no yeah. doubt. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more question because we are just at that point. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to get six minutes out of you. Oh, that's okay? really stretching it. Okay. Okay. What is that one moment where you stopped and you looked down and you had goosebumps on your arm and you're going, I can't believe this is happening? I've been really lucky. I've had a few of those, actually several. The first one that comes to mind is um, opening up for Crosby, Stills & Nash about 20 years ago, I'll say, wow. at the Universal Amphitheater. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that some of my new friends had decided to surprise me by joining me on stage at the end of my set and being my background choir. And when I looked over uh, to stage left, I suppose it was, and I didn't even have a band with me. It was just me and a guitar player. That's all I traveled with in those days. Now it's not much more than that either. Um, I was singing the song Perfect Love, which is on my first record. It's about one of my brothers and his wife. And at the end of it, there's a part that James Taylor sings on the record. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of James Taylor, that night it was David Crosby, Graham Nash, Bonnie Raitt, and Jackson Brown were my wow. background choir That's on that cool. song. And it, it was. It was oh, head I to have, toe. Chills. I have them. Yeah, there you go. I have them. That was one of them. Got the goosies. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you for You're coming welcome. and chatting with me. Thank you for asking. It was and the having your greatest six minutes and 35 seconds. Yes, I got another <laughs> minute and a half out of him. <laughs> That was the amazing Mark Cohn and sitting with him and getting all of that information in such a short amount of time was incredible. Um, you know, actually sitting face to face with him and talking to him after admiring him for so long, I realized that his speaking voice was just as rich and delicious as his singing voice. You don't really think that you get you can get that, but his speaking voice really is soulful and yummy and I can say that it's okay we're cool like that now Mark and I <laughs> um, I liked it Jew to Jew right I kind of got him with that there you go. <laughs> but I love walking in Memphis and then after this interview they actually headed down to Memphis and he performed this uh, literally just a few feet off of Beale so that was really really neat well, uh, after Mark Cohn, I was able to sit down with Mr. Michael McDonald and his lovely wife, Amy Holland. And uh, Michael is one of the most humble, uh, sweetest human beings you could possibly meet. I enjoyed every minute sitting in his dressing room with him, talking to him. Here I am with Mr. Michael McDonald. Uh, we're live at the Warner Theater here in Washington, D.C., uh, talking to Michael McDonald, who's had over a 40-year music career. Steely Dan to Doobie Brothers to your solo stuff in collaborations with Kenny Loggins, Patti LaBelle, Aretha Franklin, Toto, Thundercat, your wife Amy Holland, and I have to say, one of my favorite people in the whole world, Mr. Dave Koss. All right. One of my favorite people, too. Oh, love that guy. Five-time Grammy Award winner, um... Kenny Rogers introduced you 1980 at the Grammy Awards, What a Fool Believes. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to go on stage at the Grammys. It was uh, pretty surreal, you know. Uh, 
you know, I, it was one of those uh, moments of like, I can't believe this is, I'm doing this, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here and this is happening, you know. Uh, you know, I'd watched the Grammys pretty faithfully through the years growing up. And um, uh, so to, you know, to, to be there and, and, and always, you know, felt it was a very prestigious event, you know, uh, for the music industry. And so to, to be a part of it was uh, was pretty remarkable. I, at that point in time, uh, my grandmother was still alive, and she was there at the Grammys. And so I remember thinking, you know, as I was walking up on stage, how grateful I was that she was still with us and was able to see this, because uh, she bought me my first guitar oh. uh, when I was about 12. It was a silver tone, um, kind of a $75 electric guitar. That, that, and uh, I have the exact same model today that... Uh, Oh wow! Yeah, but uh, I wish I still had the one she gave me. But uh, it was a Christmas present, and uh, and it was shortly after that that I, you know, uh, I was just starting a band around then. So you know, uh, it was really a, an important present for me at that age. And, and looking back, you know, in hindsight, uh, you know, certainly uh, had a lot to do with me going on to the career of uh, being a working musician. You know. Yeah, she made you. She didn't break you. She made no, you. No, no, she always, uh, she was always right there for us. You know. Tell me, who is Michael McDonald on tour? Um, who's Michael McDonald on tour? These days, um, I'm uh, pretty uh, low key. You know, I, I always feel about going on the road is it's just something you have to give into. You know, you have to mm-hmm. kind of give yourself into because uh, it's a lifestyle. You know that. Uh, I always have to kind of brace myself when I'm getting ready to leave home. When I'm home, I, I feel like, oh, gosh, here I am. I'm in my, my hang, my house. Uh, get to do all those things I've been w- waiting to get back home to do. You know? mm-hmm. um, whether it's, you know, take the dogs to the beach or paint a picture or, or fix something in the house. You know, of the last of which I'm not known for. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, that, that kind of, you know, you're just about to kind of, kind of spread out and start to really relax and enjoy yourself. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, here we go again. We're, we're leaving in a day yeah. or two and you have to start thinking ahead and, uh, and get ready for to uh, fall into that. Uh, it's kind of a, a eventually somewhere halfway through the tour, you, you fall into these vampire hours, you know, where you're, yeah. you're now you're more sleeping during the day, getting up in time for sound check, going to the gig. Grabbing what's left of lunch, you know, a sandwich, quick sandwich, do the sound check for a couple hours. Um, do you feel like a repetitive zombie? Do you yeah, feel yeah, like it's, 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 a it's like a same same day, yeah, different shit, same day kind yeah. of thing. You know, yeah. I mean, it gets very redundant. It's like Groundhog's Day, you know, yeah. same thing. Um, and then you forget what town you're in pretty quickly, and forget what day it is very quickly, you know. I've even forgotten what year it is out here. It's 2017. It's Saturday, and we're in D.C. at the Warner Theater. Now I've just embedded it in your brain. Sure, and, and believe me, up until that moment, I probably didn't know. You know? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, it, it, you get into a world out here where nothing kind of matters, right. you know, in terms of that stuff, you know, yeah. what day it is. You know, because you're going to get up, you're going to do the same thing. And, and I, you know, I enjoy it. I, I love playing with the band, you know. And everything revolves around that moment, you know. Unfortunately, what happens is you, that starts to become midday for you because that's where you spend the most of your energy is in the show. Mm-hmm. And um, so everything you do leading up to it is trying to see where you're at. Or, you know, me every day is an exercise in seeing where my voice is at, what, I, what do I need to do, how do I need to kind of 
if I need to warm up, uh, how do I need to approach it at the sound check? Do I need to sing more, sing mm -hmm. less, you know? And then I kind of try to sit around in the room here and play the piano as much as I can to kind of warm up. So that when I go out there, I feel loose and, you know, I feel like I'm going to do... Yeah, that was a pretty lengthy sound check. Well, our sound checks are typically good. a good hour and a half, two hours wow. you know, every day. And then, uh, you know, we get a meal. We, we usually either go out and grab a bite real quick or we eat here at the gig. And um, uh, but then, then we get ready for the showtime. Uh, you know, we do certain rituals before the show. And, mm -hmm. uh, but mostly for me, I, you know, if I'm not trying to make sure I get some sleep so my voice holds up, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, I'm usually just doing things pertaining to the gig. And then it's a very myopic kind of existence. And then you... You go home, and you ha it takes you a couple of days to kind of get back into the stream of life that goes oh, on around the house. You know? You've had, on on this run, you've had some dates with Boz Skaggs. You've had some dates with Kenny Loggins, and you've got Mark Cohn uh, on this leg of the tour. Uh, tell me, when people come out to see you now, what can they expect when they look at that stage? Well, you know, we, we try to just kind of give them as much of, uh, the music that uh, we think they want to hear, first of all, and and uh, and we try to bring to that music whatever we can that's that's fresh for us, that's new, you know, that, that without changing things too much. You know, we all of our arrangements are different from the records at this point, but I think you know what's real important is that you retain what's inherently uh, the personality of the song and of the record mm -hmm. that people, you know, uh, I'm not one much for changing songs completely arrangement wise some know. people really don't take well to that yeah they're, I, they I pay money they uh, come to see you yeah. and they're they want that original sure. they want to hear it the well way they want to hear done. something familiar yeah. about it you know and, and i get that and uh, right now we're playing some new stuff which i'm always you know uh, a little trepidatious about you know kind of getting up on stage and you know uh but it, you know it's going well people seem to like it. even before the record was out uh and people hadn't heard the stuff yet they seem to respond favorably to it which isn't always the case. I remember the right. first time we played, I keep forgetting, uh, it was like you could hear crickets afterwards. <laughs> People, you know, just kind of didn't know what to make of that. You know, right. uh, it was a kind of a different thing than we were normally doing. But, you know, again, uh, it's always a different night. It's a different show every night, you know, because it's really, the show is really about the audience. Uh, I find that... Um, we pick up that energy immediately, and if it's if it's there, and the audience is, is anxious to see the show, and uh, and they're into it, uh, they're ninety percent of it for us, you know, because it's what keeps us playing the same songs every night and never getting tired of it. Do you ever have a tough crowd? Do you ever have a bad night where um, you don't get that energy? There are some nights, some types of venues where it's a little tougher to get people on their feet because. Uh, some of the performing arts centers, I love playing them because we can do more intimate show. You know, we can do more ballady stuff and mm -hmm. things that we don't normally do in, in some of our other regular shows. But people are a little more reluctant to get on their feet because they don't want to stand in front of the person behind them. And mm -hmm. there's a certain kind of etiquette in a place like that that it's hard to get people to break that etiquette. We try to. Yeah. And we usually succeed, but we have to work a little harder for it. All right. Okay, we gotta we gotta dive headfirst into this yacht rock topic. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I've talked about it uh, for a long time now with a few different guests. And did you know that the Yacht Rock channel on Sirius XM there is chatter that people call that the Michael McDonald station. 
Is this news to you or did you hear that before? Hey, the way I look at it, you're either yacht or you're not. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay, I'm yacht. <laughs> um, so I decided to put it to the test. And I drove down here from Baltimore today to D.C. And it took about an hour. And I had Yacht Rock on the entire time. You were on three times. You did a solo. God bless you were with Kenny Loggins. And you were with Doobies. So I can understand how people will say this is, in fact, the Michael McDonald channel. Because uh, it's, it's you like are God's, on uh, a lot. I think God's... Uh determined to make people sick and tired of me <laughs> <laughs> or give people what they want which is just yeah, more of you that, but, uh, uh so so you know this this whole phenomenon has come about and they have yacht rock uh tours i know that player and ambrosia and bill champlin and john ford coley and robbie dupree they go out together um there's yacht rock cruises are you you know interested in being a part of any of that yeah, well, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, the way I look at it is, uh, you know, I'm a musician, and there's so many venues that we're, we're allowed to work that didn't exist really for bands from the 60s and 50s even, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a, you know, a certain lifespan to an, a, a teen, uh, teenage music artist or, uh, you know, rock and roll artist. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 50s, you know, um, it was like the kiss of death to be out there past 30 you know uh, so I feel fortunate you know the casinos we play a lot of casinos uh, we still play festivals from time to time and, and those are wonderful but uh, we we are kept alive out here by working casinos uh, you know uh, oh well the casinos of, are hilarious because yeah, you and, walk and, around and, and I mean the people that are yeah. just sitting at the slot machines sure I and, mean that's your crew right there it's the price Mike. Of, it's worth the price of admission really <laughs> and and you know we we play uh, a lot of jazz cruises, you know, mm -hmm. uh, jazz festivals, uh, you know, almost any, there, there's just so many opportunities to, to, to keep working now, you know, for guys like me and my age. And, and I'm so amazed that, and, you know, some of the guys maintain that strict kind of uh, regimen of we're a rock band and we don't do that stuff. Um, I don't have that luxury and I, and I don't really care. I, I, I just like to play music for whoever's willing to listen, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't really see it as, uh, you know, uh, I just feel fortunate to still be working, you know, and uh, and that I can still make my living doing this. You know? Absolutely. So making your living doing this, you, it's a, become a family affair because you have your son Dylan out with you and your wife Amy Holland, mm -hmm. um, who is also a singer. Yeah. And your daughter Scarlett, I'm sure, pops in from time to time. Well, she doesn't perform with us. Her and I jam together. She plays five string banjo and has a beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. My daughter Scarlett. Uh, so I always try to get her to sing for me because I love hearing her sing and she plays the banjo and I play the accordion at home. And that's some of the things that we do when I'm actually home for five nights in a year. You know. So who is Michael McDonald as the husband and father? Um, well, that's the best part of my life, really. You know, that's mm -hmm. really what's made my life worthwhile and on any on a much larger level than even my career. My career is one thing, but... Uh, I, you know, I've always kind of looked at my career as that thing that's going to go away eventually somehow, somewhere, sometime. No, we're not counting uh, on that. Well, you know, and, and I'm not even worried about that, really. Right. You know, I, I feel like um, when that happens, I'll know what what's next. And, you know, um, you know, I have fantasies like anyone else about 
what I would do if I could retire or if I should retire. You Can know. you share? What would what are those fantasies? I want to know. Um, I'd like to just paint. You know, I like to paint. Uh, and and, uh, I, and I got a little motor home that I got to, I'd like to fix up. You know, I keep procrastinating with that. But my wife keeps yelling at me, when are we going to get the motor home fixed up? Uh, but I, eventually, that's what we'd like to do. And, uh, and I'd like to kind of go up and down the different coastlines of the country and uh, paint and surf a little bit and before I get too old to do that too. <laughs> and, uh, well, let and me ask you, you have had the luxury of being able to travel the world and see uh, many interesting places that a lot of other people don't get to go to. When you and Amy are like, you know what, we're tired, we need a vacation, but we kind of travel for a living and we see everywhere anyway, mm. where are your go-to spots? Where do you want to go and see and paint? Um... Well, you know, a lot of times we try to get over to Hawaii because uh, we have a lot of friends there. You know, we lived there for a while. Mm -hmm. So we go and see friends and family over there. Um, and by family, I mean people that we've known so long that they're family. You know? Right. Um, and so we try to get over there a couple times a year and spend a little bit of time, uh, usually around New Year's and uh, uh, somewhere in the middle of the year. Mm -hmm. Um and then, you know, we love Santa Barbara. You know, we love to live there. We love, uh, I love that town with all my heart. It's just the greatest uh, place. I, it's one of those places when I'm walking down the street, I, I, I just, it hits me how much I love this place. You know, mm -hmm. I think any place you live that you have that feeling for is, is a, you know, uh, you're a lucky person, you know, because I've lived places for, many, for years where I wasn't exactly enthralled with my surroundings, you know. But it's something you just learn to deal with, you know. Well, that's why they call it your happy place. When you go home, yeah. you want to have it be and your happy Santa place. Santa Barbara is definitely that for me. Um, yeah. Um, you know, probably nothing I love more than just taking the dogs to the beach and letting them run. What know? kind of dogs do you have? We have a golden, um, a red bone hound dog. Uh, well, you know, they're all mongrels, you know, rescues, so they're a little bit of everything. You know? mm -hmm. But the, what we've kind of figured is they're most most bloodline they have and then we have a little uh basinji dog which oh, is like a cute. like a little african terrier you know? yeah and she's uh, she runs the household she runs the roost and uh, uh so you know in me taking the three of them to the beach is a you know calamity at best you know it's all i can do to get them down the stairs and then get them off the leashes and then go chase them you know, yes. try to get them back on the leashes. Don't get a puggle puppy like I just did. You'll never get that dog back. No, that's what the Vicenji's like. Oh, okay. She comes back when she's damn good and ready, you know, and not before. Right. Um, but they seem to do well at the beach. They get along with all the other dogs. And it's a dog beach, you know. So, uh, and even the one, we have one, he's a little, he's kind of a problem child. You know, being with rescues, you get one or the other. You get the dog who's just so grateful to have have family that they're no problem at all. Yeah. And then you get the ones who are, they have issues. <laughs> uh -huh. and, and he has issues, but mostly at home in his territory. He had, you know, but if I get him to the beach where it's not, where he doesn't sense that this is his territory. Uh, and he does better off the leash than on the leash. When he's on the leash, all of a sudden he feels trapped. You know? Right. So I have to kind of really monitor him when I'm at the beach and, and either really have a good hold on him or mm -hmm. get to where I can let him off the leash. And, and then he's fine, you know. And then he just goes. Yeah. Okay, tell me your dream collaboration. Who have you not worked with and who do you really want to? Boy, um, 
gosh, there's a lot a lot of people I, I would love to work with. I um. Yeah, I, you know, it's just so many. It's hard to pick one. You know what I mean? Um, you need to come back to that. You need yeah, to think about maybe, that for a minute. Maybe think about that one for a minute. <laughs> okay, your favorite song to perform live? Mm-hmm. Um, almost any of them, you know. Um, but I like doing uh, "I Can Let Go Now." Uh, I also like doing in that same spot. We interchange those songs, uh, the ballads. You know, uh, right now I'm enjoying doing uh, a new album. I mean, a new song from this album, Wide Open, uh, mm-hmm. a song called uh, Just Strong Enough. A friend of mine, Gary Nicholson, and I wrote. Um, it's a it's it's a fun song to do. It's, it's different for me because it's a slow blues song, basically. And I don't know that I've ever had a slow blues song, but uh, this is a really And you fun. do it so well. Well, you're nice to say that, but uh, I'm just feeling like I'm kind of catching up with it, you know, live, because uh, mm-hmm. we did it in the studio, three-piece and that was pretty manageable you know but now that the song has horns and it has a much bigger uh, arrangement um, I have to kind of find that slot you know with the vocal and uh, so every night's a little different you know yeah. and and me and the guitar player trade off mm-hmm. uh, you know kind of soloing or, or uh, speaking you know uh, musically and that's always kind of a, there are nights when we do it really well and then there's nights when we're stepping all over each other. <laughs> so, you know, but it, that's the fun of it for me. That's, you know, not really knowing how this is going to come off and just kind of giving yourself to it. You know, um, I would hate to do a show where I was pretty sure how it was going to go every time we played a song. Well, that would just add to your zombie effect for your day. You have yeah, enough I, of that, so that's like that. your, that's right. yeah, yeah. That's your release on stage. Exactly. So you and, never know and, how it's going to go. And that's kind of the band. That's the kind of band we are. The arrangements are loose at best, and mm-hmm. uh, they basically call on us to uh, manage what what part of it we we have, uh, being cognizant of what the other people are doing uh, in the moment, because. Um, it's not really ever the same, you know. Right. It's 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 rhythm and blues, or it's blues, or it's pop, even pop rhythm and blues. Some of those songs are maybe a little more arranged and uh, rhythmically sorted out, but a lot of the stuff we play is uh, loose arrangement-wise, and uh, and I prefer it to be that way. You know, mm-hmm. I think it gives the audience a moment that uh, that's unique to this time and this place and that audience. You know. So you just dropped your album last month, uh, Wide Open, 10th studio album, mainly about sobriety. Can you go into that a little bit for us about where you were at that time with this album? Well, I'm not so, it, it is, you know, it, it relates to my sobriety, but because that's my life at this point, mm-hmm. it's, it's the priority in my life at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, for me, it's best to keep that the priority above and beyond all things, you know, Yeah. because then any and all things work much better. Mm-hmm. You know, when that's not the priority, uh, any and all things start to fray a little bit on the edges. You know, um, but it's it's really about just the human nature of uh, of living life. You know, uh, and and to a large degree, if it, if it's personal at all, it's for me living life sober. But not, it's not really necessarily about. Uh, Addiction or drugs—it's more about living, you know, and uh, and kind of rediscovering uh, uh, the journey. And and, you know, uh, a lot of the songs are just about you know 
things like uh, forgiveness uh, for, uh, you know, things we all learn as we live longer, you know. Uh, More of like a life lessons type. Yeah, you know, all the different things that, uh, that we, you know, that, that seem to be almost be paradoxical to what we thought was right and wrong mm-hmm. when we were younger, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, we were right, when we were younger, you know, resent, you know, uh, justifiable anger and uh, self-righteous, you know, resentment, you know, seems like it all makes sense, you know. Uh, but it's a luxury of the young, and and if you give enough year, get in, give into it for enough years, you suddenly realize I've wasted a long, a big part of my life uh, carrying resentments or whatever they might be for whatever they might be, uh, and I'm the only one suffering here. You know, no one else. You know, the person I'm resenting probably hasn't lost a minute's sleep over the thing I'm chewing on twenty years later. Yeah. You know? So you know, the the songs are about stuff like that. You know? mm-hmm. And it's funny because on the flip side, you and Kenny Loggins, which is such an interesting thing to watch, by the way, on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show in June, you joined Thundercat on his single, Show You the Way, and it's on his album, Drunk. (laughs) So he shows up in these white plastic sandals and these Hawaiian shorts on the show, and you and Kenny are there. And it's it, it To say the least, it is a bit odd, but it's different, and it was cool. And then I saw the video for it. So tell me what it was like to kind of collaborate with this character, because that's what he is. He's a character. Well, Steve is, uh, yeah, he's he's bigger than life, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, as a musician, he's just so, he's a gifted, gifted uh, musician and, and composer, I think, you know, uh, a recording artist. Um, so it was fun to be a part of his world, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with his song and and, uh, um, and and to actually get to participate on the record was was great great fun and musical opportunity for us too. Um, and I find playing with him live is really uh, a lot of fun and, and kind of thrilling for me because uh, to play with a power trio like that that's kind of a a strange amalgam of jazz rock soul power trio you know <laughs> it's it's you know it's definitely something he's invented and um and being a trio it, it's a very uh the, the, again there's that uh we know the form of the song but w- there's no real strict arrangement and so every time it's played there's a little bit of a a chance that something fresh will happen you know right. and, and and uh you know, at my at this point in my life as a musician, that that's that's important to me. I I, um, I don't think I'd have much interest in getting up and playing the same show exactly every night, the same notes every night. You know. No, you got to um, mix it up. Keep uh, it yeah, interesting I, I, for I don't yourself. Know that, uh, I would uh, be out here much longer if that were the case. You know. Yeah. And not that we're like some free form, you know, uh, improv band. We're not. Mm-hmm. You know. But we we do uh, like I say, we, we our arrangements are such that they kind of. Uh, take form with the audience's enthusiasm. And final question for our portion of this interview. Uh, Tell me about a moment in your career that made you stop and look down and say, I've got goosebumps from this moment because it's just so amazing or special and I can't believe it's happening. Sure. That's been a few times, you know. Um, you know, I, I would have to say one of the premier times was standing in a giant soundstage with a 60-piece orchestra, I think it was, at the microphone next to Ray Charles. Oh, wow. You know, and, and I just, it was all I could do to concentrate on what we were doing because I was 
just lost in the the unbelievable realization that that you know I mean I, at 11 years old I remember the first time I heard him sing I remember walking down the street in my hometown mm-hmm. um, with my little Japanese transistor radio in my ear mm-hmm. and hearing uh, hit the road jack you know and hearing this guy sing I was just like wow what is this you know I mean and and to me from that moment on it was uh I knew what soul music was. It was like this great discovery of something that mm-hmm. you know, I didn't even know existed. You know, uh, you know. Um, uh, music in our house was, you know, my dad's singing Irish songs. You know, <laughs> you know, he had a beautiful voice. You right. know, and and, I, and singing old ragtime songs that I would play the banjo for him, and we would, you know, like I do with my daughter. You know, and we would go out and play in little civic events or in every saloon in St. Louis, you know, he sang, you know, uh, and, uh, and I grew up in every saloon in St. Louis with my dad, you know, mm-hmm. um, singing music, you know, like, uh, old, you know, you know uh, ragtime standards or old, uh, uh, standards of some sort, you know, um, and then I, you know, here is Ray Charles and it was this whole new definition of, uh, of music and, and expression that I, you know, I'd never heard before and never felt before, you know. And then to all those years later, be standing at a microphone with this guy who I used to fantasize someday I might meet, or if I ever met, what would I say to him? Because you know? mm-hmm. then from that point on, it was a kind of an uh, 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 idolizing him. You know, I, I just, everything he, I couldn't get enough of Ray Charles. I would listen to all the records he put out. And, uh, and there was, I knew there was always going to be something I really loved, you know, new on, on each and yeah. every album. And there always was, you know. Um, he was a special performer. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and there's so many kind. acts like that. But that, that for me was a moment, you know, uh, I'd have to say. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's been a few. You know, there's so many great artists that I've had the, the privilege and the pleasure to work with. There's people that I just never, never dreamed I would, you know, get the opportunity to actually share the stage with. Right, right. Okay, well, we're going to, um, people are saying great interview, awesome, just awesome, just so you know, we've got like listeners, uh, you know, a lot of viewers here. So just give them a wave and say hello. Hello. To the Facebook world. And thank you so much for joining us. We will see you guys later. Okay. We're going to bring in Amy. Can you grab Amy? Yeah, where is she? she I don't know. Um, she might be down. And then we're going to do a couple minutes with Amy here. Okay. Is Amy? Oh, yeah. Come on in. Sorry. Oh, it's warm in here. Nice. Yeah, we were heating it up. <laughs> okay. Hide my still have this on. I hide mine. I just hate Can you, do you want to... Uh, do you want me to move this over a little bit? Are you okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay, joining us now is Michael's wife, Amy Holland, who was a Grammy Award nominee for Best New Artist in 1981 for How Do I Survive? And the funniest thing is, is I was driving around the other day and I'm listening to 80s on 8 on Sirius XM. And all of a sudden this song comes on and I was not very familiar with it. I have to be honest. And I'm an 80s oh, it buff. Came on? <laughs> it came on. Wow. And your picture came on. Really? And I said, this blonde beauty. Who's this blonde beauty? Oh, no. And then my brother said, you know, when, when you're talking to Michael, we're going to bring in his wife, Amy. 
And I go, that's who it is. Oh, that's funny. I said, this is crazy that, that this just had the same week. So um, you come from your mother, who's a country singer, and your father, who's an opera singer. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what kind of singer are you? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I, I think, you know, I kind of grew up sort of on the edge of the folk era. Mm-hmm. So kind of folk rock a little bit. And I love R&B because I was raised on that kind of music back in New York. But um, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't, you know, my newest album is different than anything I've done before. It's got a little country crossover, a little jazz sort of crossover. and. Mm-hmm tried some different genres and it it was really fun so i don't know how to answer that (laughs) you're a mix but i'm not an opera singer i'll tell you that not an opera singer she uh, um she did grow up kind of idolizing joni mitchell yeah but she's great she's actually got a very natural bent on jazz standards on this record she kind of i think uh it surprised her and, and you know that you know it came so easy to her and on a couple of the tracks she really uh, has a very kind of classic jazz uh, phrasing approach to the song you know? and you guys have been together for forever and a day which is more incredibly day. rare these days so you know um kudos to the both of you thank you because i only made it seven years and my parents only made it 26 so you know, I'm always well, in awe. Well, you know what the secret is? You never see each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we do because yeah. I'm on the road with them, but it was almost too much we weren't seeing each well, other. Well, Todd said, he know, so. he goes, you need to ask, what is your biggest Michael McDonald pet peeve? Mine? Yeah. You ever ride in the car with somebody that rides the brake? Oh, no! <laughs> Are you yes. a breaker? I call him Rev. Don't Rev. It's the accelerator oh, no. that I, I ride more than the... And I see those little toes, and I know he's writing music or something, but I go... If you loved me, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, no. I don't have a lot of pet peeves. I don't know. How is Stealing touring... my dog. That was a big one. Oh. Yeah. I got a puppy, and he carried a lot of cookies around before I realized it and found out that's why she was leaning towards him. Oh, no. That's, you, that's... Bribery will get you everywhere. She loved me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what it's like to be on tour as a wife and a mother. Okay. Um... My son works on the crew, mm-hmm. even though he's a very talented singer-songwriter. This is his job, day job, mm-hmm. and uh, he's working real hard, and I'm real proud of him. So it's great that I can see him, because I can't see him all the time living in California. And and being a wife out here, I really, really try to, I really would like to blend with the band more than just be his wife, you know, and look for, I don't want any special attention if i'm singing something funny tell me you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but of all the way we met and and all the years we've spent together this is the most we've sung together and it's really well the music's so fun so i love it well michael produced on your first album mm-hmm. correct right and so it was just kind of like love at first production we can say right right (laughs) and it was you know the album was born a relationship was born and now all these years later you're you're you know you're married you've got two kids and you're touring together we have a lot of fun i think yeah i think our our sense of humors are similar and that gets you through a lot sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you if you can't if you have nothing to laugh about you can get in real trouble so do you find that when you guys collaborate together is it easier because you know each other so well or is it more difficult because you know each other so well 
you know, I, both I, I think it's a little more difficult for me because I don't have the experience in the writing area that he does. Mm-hmm. I have in the last couple of years started writing a lot more, so I'm more confident with it. But, um, you know, he's been a great teacher and a great um, uh, example to me about work ethic. And, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm with my best friend, my husband, you know, my son it's, mm-hmm. and the band. They're all great. Your brother's great. I mean, it's it's a great group of people that really care about and that makes it or breaks it right there you have to have a supportive crew and people that you can rely on we've both been in situations that weren't like that i mean the sound company you have to have people making you sound good right got to have the good lighting on you and everything and you can't be at odds with somebody all the time and go out on the stage and have a great night you know so that would make it difficult that would and when west where we're really fortunate as we travel out here it's a great hang because we have a wonderful crew. And we have friends really all over the country, mm-hmm. so we Great get to see friends where we go. Right. Know? Isn't that fun? And mm-hmm. everybody's pretty low maintenance, you know. I mean, it's not a, there's not a, you know, a lot of tension out here. Right. You notice a, my favorite color purple? My M&Ms aren't in here. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> M&Ms are right there. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Look. See? Isn't that I funny? I can't believe that. Now, it's the Meredith Marks and Michael McDonald interview, and Halloween is here. So, he went <laughs> trick-or-treating with the show, and I said, here you go. M&Ms. Oh my it's got to be. So tell me, Kate, you just released your fourth studio album, Light on My Path. You do out with Michael. Uh, you've got on um, background vocals, members of Ambrosia, who we're going to have members of Ambrosia in December. Oh, cool. They're great. And Toto and, you know, one of your favorites, David Crosby. Yeah. What was it like making that album? It was it was really different because Mike did my first two and then Bernie, who plays guitar for him, Bernie yes. Cervelli produced the second one we basically did it at his house and did a lot of writing at my house and his house and uh i actually called fred mullen the producer of light on my path because mike and i had done a a duet for a soap opera compilation cd years ago and oh, from one life to live yeah right yes yeah and i did um, my homework yeah you sure did <laughs> so um i uh i always wanted that to get some get the light of day you know i just i love the song it was written by two men which is kind of interesting anyway yeah. you know but um okay i just had a senior moment what what did you ask me um light on my path uh you were talking to the producer who did the one life to live song right and... i don't know where i was going with this but <laughs> i I, <laughs> I uh i called fred to get um licensing on that one life to think live thing because we he had produced it mm-hmm. and uh, he says i'm doing this record and i said well i've kind of been talking to bernie again you know and he goes i want to do this record and we had started one about 30 years ago and then i got pregnant and then i got pregnant again and then i got sick and then you know, we moved and life happened and so um i i love what he did but he's so different and doing it in Nashville, I'd never done, well, I did that album with Bernie in Nashville, but that was at our studio or at his house. Mm-hmm. And so we went in for two days, we cut 14 tracks and then I was getting sometimes two and three vocals a day, which I've never done ever. It's like pulling teeth to get good vocals out of me. So it was a very different experience, but you know, I think I was more serious about it mm-hmm. this time. My kids are grown and I wanted, you know, everybody needs a sense of purpose, you know. And Absolutely. 
I mean, I was making jewelry and that was fun and creative, but I just, I just had, I was really inspired. I was just inspired to do this record and, mm -hmm. and I did want to put that other song on there. I think it's, I think it's going to be a, like a, uh, what do you call it? A, a bonus track. Bonus, bonus track, track. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> for Japan or something, but, um, that <laughs> would get over there, but, um, it, it was just a, a completely different way of recording. It was like, it was almost going so fast. I wanted to wait, 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 I, wait, is that, is that even good? I don't know. You know? So, I mean, these some of these are, tracks you had kind of in your vault, right? We, well, we did, yeah. we did. We at least had the songs picked, mm -hmm. you know, even if we didn't have the track, we mm -hmm. had the songs picked. And so, um, but I really hadn't had a chance to sing them, you know, it just, it just came, it fell into place. And if we had not been on our own label, mm -hmm. probably a record company would have told me, well, you can't do the jazz and the country and then this and, the, you know, so we got to do what we wanted to do and it was really fun. Sometimes yeah. that's the best thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, the, that's kind of the hallmark. I mean, Fred's of... hysterically funny and we just have a good time. Yeah, and and we had a lot of fun when I was doing the record with Michael. We had some great, you know, well, Picaro brothers and Mike Baird, and he was hysterical, the drummer. We just had so much fun, That's you know, great. and they say, you know, find something you love and you don't have to work a day in your life. And it's true, you know. Yeah. So I took more time away from it than I planned, but wasn't my plan. So, you know, <laughs> but it, it, this is real. I and mean, it's so much fun to sing his music. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I do more, more kind of mid-tempo to slower ballads, you know, in my work. And uh, that seems to be more of what I write, you know. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's a privilege. I mean, I'm singing with one of the best singers and, and one of the best bands. And it's just really fun. What is one of your favorite songs that he sings what do you like at home do you ever say you sing that to me just privately do i say that no you usually say do you have to do that right now <laughs> <laughs> no i i learned a lot about his work ethic because he used to drive me nuts when he would learn a song that's all he would play for weeks and then i realized that that's how you get it is by repetition repetition mm -hmm. you know but he wrote a song that i don't know if he recorded it. He wrote it about our daughter, Scarlett. When Scarlett smiles. When Scarlett smiles. Yes. And that just rips my heart open every time. I just was listening to that, and it is with, um, when I tell you, they're my dream person. When I started this show, uh, there was one person that I had in mind, and Mr. Dave Koz. Oh, yeah. I have always oh. loved Dave Koz. He's in fact, great. I was part of his fan club. Like, back in the early 90s, and I wow. was like, this tall. Uh -huh. um, but I have always loved Dave Koz. So when I saw that, I was really excited because I did not realize that they had collaborated on that. Right. And then it's really special because it's about your daughter. So. Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. It's very sweet. Yeah, and another song he wrote with David Pack of Ambrosia, Our Love. I love that song. Yeah. And now you guys are going to have to write a song for my twins. Their names are Casey and Parker. So I'll be expecting they? that by okay. next year. Thank sure, you very much. How old are they? <laughs> they just turned 11. Oh. And they listen to you and oh, they know God. you. That's and they great. are very into Yacht Rock, just like <laughs> Mama is. Good. So, uh, yeah, Casey and Parker, I expose them to the good stuff. Good. Because right now there's enough bad stuff. So I dig deep with them and I expose. It's all about what you expose your kids to. Right. So, yeah. In the yeah. car, there is no Justin Bieber allowed. Oh, my gosh. It's, 
Well, you know, my kids yeah. were, you know, they, they had, they, they got very contemporary for a while. They, uh, they listened to all the, the bands and the, that, you know, right. in the 90s, late 90s bands. Mm-hmm. Early, you know, so. And then somehow they, they both kind of ventured into uh, listening to music from the 60s. You know, yeah, I walked in know. Scarlett's room. She's li- listening to Ella Fitzgerald. You know, yeah, in like, the 30s and 40s. And, <laughs> yeah. And that we, and we, I can't take credit for that. No, I mean, my mother was saying a lot of 30s and 40s music that was beautiful, but mm-hmm. Scarlett really didn't know my mom that well. She was very young when my mom passed away. So um, Scarlett was young. So, um, you know, it's just... They just have their own thing. And somebody interviewed Dylan once and said, um, who do you think influenced your music more, your mom or your dad? And he said, maybe my mom because she put a Led Zeppelin CD in my Easter basket one year. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good <was> call. <laughs> Good call. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's how you it's how you grow up and what you hear. And my dad being sound man, you know, we, I was growing up with Frankie Valli and... I know, and my dad mastered their records. Did you know that? No! Oh, he didn't tell you that? I'm going next Friday, actually, to New Jersey You're to kidding. get Uncle Frankie. Really? Just like, the, yes. So I will well, have to talk to him Well, my dad was a mastering engineer at Mercury. I don't know That's if he cool. physically did that and met them or what, but so he would neat. bring home all the test pressings. So, you know, it's funny how a full circle comes around. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, those guys... That is so neat. Yeah, a lot of really cool records that we grew up with. Where my dad mastered them. It was really right. Fun. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming thank on my you. show. I greatly appreciate it. Thank and thank uh, you. Yeah, thank a good good luck me. with the rest of the tour and oh, uh, you, fixing up your motorhome. Eventually, yeah. And heading to yes. Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully soon. <laughs> I want to go to the Southwest in the motorhome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll knock on Todd's door. Todd. <laughs> Todd, they're coming for you. <laughs> we are coming for him. It's the worst nightmare. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, sure. Well, that was a lot of fun to just sit and watch the two of these guys sit side by side and have such a successful, long marriage. I mean, they've been together forever in a day with two kids, surviving the musicians touring lifestyle, uh, Michael McDonald and Amy Holland. It was a true pleasure. And uh, they're a fun group of people, I got to tell you. And they love my brother and they treat my brother really well. So I appreciate them for that. Well, we've come to the part in our episode where we uh, do a segment called Local Flavor, which is to spotlight a Baltimore original group. And this week I wanted to talk about a group that's been around for a really long time. Um, They started in the early 70s, and even though they formed in Rhode Island, the University of Rhode Island, they all came here. They relocated to the D.C., Maryland area, and they were really best known for this entire region. Um, And I really admire these guys. They've been together. they They were together for a long time, and then they have had a few different lineups and stuff. But all in all, they always keep the music really, really well done. Uh, when they perform on stage, and uh, they're good friends of mine. So here is Face Dancer with Red Shoes. It's Maryland. It's local. It's Baltimore. It's local flavor with Meredith Marks.
at me Drank the booze, just couldn't leave it Devil got me now Devil got me now, hey I saw, saw, see you later Man, she was rude in those red shoes Devil's got me now Devil's got me now Got to say Red Shoes by Face Dancer, Baltimore area band who I just love, near and dear to my heart. Love those guys. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this episode. It's been so much fun uh, to have the entire Michael McDonald and Mark Cohn experience and Amy Holland experience at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. The venue is beautiful, really is a nice theater. Uh, I got to experience it from the stage and looking out and then up at the uh, sound booth and watching from the sound booth a little bit and then being backstage. Just a great venue, uh, nice location, a lot of different restaurants around there. So if you ever get a chance to go and see a show at the Warner Theater, I would definitely recommend it because it's a lot of fun. Well, join us for episode 14. I mean, things are about to get real here. Makeup, long tongues, very high shoes. We are going to dive into the beginnings of KISS. Lydia Chris is going to join us, former wife of Peter Chris, And she wrote a book. And it is juicy and detailed And we are going to talk all about it here on Backstage Pass for episode 14. Come on back. You've been hanging backstage with Backstage Pass and Meredith Marks. Now get your ass off the tour bus. Just say what's going on Deep inside your heart Always searching for the real thing 
This is a big-timing comedy production. Thank you.